I want to start off, and we're going to continue our Power to Change series. And I guess to get framed up, I'd like to talk with you about the greatest sport in the world, baseball. Um, I mean, football's good, basketball's enjoyable, but then there's baseball. And one of the things that I really appreciate about baseball is the, uh, what's, what's called the grind by those in the biz. And uh, it has to do with the fact that, man, starting in February, they show up, professional ball players, college ball players, whatever, show up and start to train. And they wake up and they stretch and they lift and they throw and they hit, and they field, and they stretch, and they sleep. And then they get up the next day, and they stretch, and they lift, and they hit. And, they, and, and so there's just this rhythm to preparation for baseball. And what's fascinating to me is uh, for most ball players. On any level, because this is, I mean, I watched, you know, Elijah now as a sophomore. I watched Spencer when he played. Um, there's no guarantees. Uh, you um, may or may not be in the starting lineup that day for any given reason. Um, you usually don't know until you get to the field. Um, you may or may not get a pitch to hit. I mean, that drives my youngest nuts. He, he, he will go insane if he doesn't get a pitch to hit. Um, you may not get a ball hit to you in the field. So all that work that you did, you may or may not even get a chance to do something with it. You could get nothing hit to you while the person you're competing with gets 10 shots hit to them and they're able to show their skills and they get playing time even though you didn't even get an opportunity in the field to show what you could do. Um, you could have an ump make a bad call. You could get injured. Uh, and yet, in the midst of all of this, you grind. You show up. You hit. You field. Uh, you lift. You stretch. You throw. Day in and day out. Not knowing if you're even going to get an opportunity but believing that you will and training in such a way that if you do get the opportunity, you're ready for it. And you may or may not blow it anyway. That's baseball. And while my description probably makes it sound like an awful sport, uh, I've, I've grown to appreciate the faith element of baseball in that you have to act like something is true and invest like something is true even when there might not be evidence uh, that it's even working. So, as we continue our series in this Power to Change series, a little lost in powers for you there. That was real time too, that wasn't in my notes. Real time comedy right there that wasn't even very funny. Uh, I want to show you a quote from Dallas Willard, late, great theologian. Dallas Willard, an incredible mind, um, very practical uh, theologian, took the teachings of Jesus and really uh, laid out some practical application, wrote a couple really good books, The Divine Conspiracy, and his book, Hearing God, in many ways changed my life. Now, it's not like light reading, 
Um, like for me, it was about three minutes a page, uh, a lot of reading and rereading, but just an incredible thinker. He, one of his great quotes. Uh, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. Look at that line. Even when we believe that we believe it, we don't believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. <clears throat> now, I agree with that statement, but it's a pretty humbling statement when it comes to faith. We believe something when we act as if it were true. Not when we believe that we believe it. And so we're going to talk about faithfulness today. I think that's a pretty good working definition. Because Bible faithfulness, like a lot of times faithfulness is, is uh, faithful, uh, means a kind of loyalty, like to be a faithful spouse or a faithful friend. But that kind of faithfulness, you can see the person. Bible faithfulness is a different thing. It's where we're acting as if something were true, even when we can't see it. So it's, it's not just believing something, it's acting as if it were true. So let's take a look at, let's do some review to make sure everybody's kind of up to speed with the series. Uh, we're walking through some of the characteristics that we can expect God to develop in us if we walk with Jesus, if we grow in our friendship with Jesus. So the first is Ephesians 2.10. And I read, I read this up here probably 20 times a year. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Extremely important promise from God. What he says is, he has created you, and you, and you, and you, and anybody that I could look at in here, he has things in mind for you to do. He has good things that he wants you to do. And there's no like conditional clauses in there where it's like, except for you, because you really messed up on spring break in 1997. Um, it's you. No matter what, God has things for you to do. Good works for you to do. So there's some inspiration there. God is doing something in your life, or at least he's willing to, if you'll submit and join that journey with him. Secondly, 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. So right there he's like, all of us who are walking with God, walking in connection with God, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. So, if you're walking with Jesus, you are being transformed. There's an ongoing thing, right? That implies change. If you're being transformed, you are changing. You have power to change. Change is happening. You're being transformed. And then ever-increasing, that's kind of a neat promise because it says no matter where you are, God's not done. If, if this is your character, if you got this good stuff going today, it's going to get a little better, and then it's going to get a little better, and then it might get a little bit worse, and then it's going to get a little better and better and better. And, and you're just going to kind of keep improving. So for me, that's a pretty important verse because it says, Alex, no matter how frustrated you may be, you are being transformed, and it's ever-increasing. God will continue 
to take you where you are and make you a little bit better. And you're going to get stuck, but you're not going to be stuck for long. And then finally, we've got to look at what is this good stuff that God is doing in our life. And this is Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces, produce, this is the produce of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the qualities that we should look at our life and expect to be increasing. And we're talking about faithfulness today. If you want some of the other ones that we've talked about, you can go to the app, to sermons, and <clears throat> check out the, the back issues. Um, we're talking about faithfulness today. And I got to say, if I'm being honest, of the things up there, faithfulness is the one that I really want to get right. Like when I stand before God and we're all going to stand before God sooner or later. And he said, you know, Alex, um, welcome, well done. I, I wish you would have been a little more loving. I'm like, yeah. Or I wish you were a little more patient in that, you know, giant eagle line. Um, be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, or I wish you hadn't eaten so much food like I wanted that to be for everybody. Like, yeah, I, I didn't do so well with that whole gluttony thing. Um, but if he said, I just wish you were more faithful. I wish you'd been more faithful. That would hurt. That would sting. Because I want to be found faithful. If anything, I want to be someone who is faithful. And so I think it's important for us to take a look at what does it even mean to be faithful. And so what I'd love for you to do is grab a Bible from the row in front of you and um, turn to Hebrews 11. That's page 1212, 1212. Hebrews 11 is called the uh, Faith Hall of Fame. It's like case studies in faithfulness. <clears throat> Interesting story. I'm always fascinated how often this happens. Um, and I'm not one, I don't think, to over-spiritualize things. Uh, but it happens a lot. Um, Bible that thick. Okay, there are approximately, there's just under 1,200 chapters in the Bible. So take all the books, Old Testament, New Testament. There's like 1,180 or something like that chapters in the Bible. How often uh, I'll, I'll do a sermon and center around a chapter and it coincides with either another Polaris Bible study, and we don't have tons, we only have a few, uh, or some other event or something. It's just amazing how it lines up. So yesterday, and my sermons are usually done a week or two in advance. Yesterday I'm at the, our Saturday morning men's gathering. And uh, Adam leads it over there in the SMAC, the Student Ministry Center. And there's about 10 of us there in a circle. And Adam said, all right, I think we're going to talk about Hebrews 11 today. And I was like, of course we are. <laughs> Um, and just, you know, I asked him, how'd you decide that? And he talked about, I don't know, I saw something on a shirt or a design or told somebody to 
put something on a running shirt or whatever, and that led me to this verse, which led me to this verse. I was like, okay, whatever. It's not because you knew I was doing that. And he didn't know that I was talking about Hebrews 11. And it's just one of those, it's getting to the point where it's probably beyond coincidence how often somebody says, oh, that's what we just talked about. And Anyway, that was a long way to say that. I just wanted to give you time to get there, you know. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 11, some homework for you is to read all of Hebrews 11 this week. It's a really neat walk through and, and try to find yourself in the story of these men and women of God in groups of people who were found to be faithful. Let's start with a basic definition. <clears throat> now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And as we're going to see in these examples, um, it was more than just a belief. It was acting out in accordance with the faith that you had, even when there was no evidence. That's an important part of faithfulness. Even when you look at your world and say, man, this feels really dumb, but I'm going to keep going. Okay, that's what we're talking about as faithfulness. If you want to be faithful, expect some disappointment in the mix because it's not really being faithful if it's just all payout, right? Okay, first case study, Cain and Abel. Human being number three and number four. Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, two brothers. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Now, here's the backstory to that. It's in Genesis 4. Some more homework if you want to check it out. You can see the offerings of Cain and Abel. <clears throat> now, Abel was a shepherd. Okay, so he raised livestock. And his offering to God was meat. Cain was a farmer who brought God vegetables or crops. So the Bible says that God looked favorably on Abel's offering, meat. And it's probably no surprise that when Cain showed up with vegetables, he's like, eh. Your brother just brought me all this meat, and you brought a veggie tray. And that's how it went down in whatever thousand B.C. Um, now, it had nothing to do with the type of offering. The idea is that Abel offered something to God um, of substance. He offered in faith. He believed that God was the king of the universe. And he gave him an offering accordingly. Cain, who had something different to bring, but certainly could have given on that level, apparently offered God leftovers. One was done in faith, acting on the belief that God was the giver of every good thing. And so, yeah, here's my best, because you gave it all to me anyway. So here's my first and best God as my offering. That was Abel. Cain probably represents a little more of a consumer faith. Like, I'm more interested in what I can get out of all this. 
And I'm not going to give according to like, this is the one who gave me everything anyway. He just kind of limped in with some of his crops. So Cain gave from leftovers and Abel gave from faith. He believed God was great and faithful and he gave accordingly. And this is a chance for us to really think about our faithfulness. What are we offering to God? Are we offering like Cain or are we offering like Abel? Now it's also interesting that uh, what was the result? Abel was killed. Abel gave a better offering. Cain got jealous and we see the first murder in the Bible over faithfulness. So there wasn't a payoff in this world for Abel. It wasn't like God was like, and now here's long life and prosperity. Nope, dead. So this should tell us that just because we're being faithful doesn't mean that this world is going to treat us very well because we do it. Might, might not. Can't evaluate your life circumstances and figure out your standing with God. The two might not. Like you can be in very good standing with God and uh, life doesn't necessarily reflect that. Now, when I think about the concept, I really think about guys like um, uh, Wayne Lakovic here at Polaris. Um, and there's a lot of examples like it, but Wayne leads our welcome ministry and he, um, he's here early every Sunday. Um, he does his best to uh, make sure there's a variety of coffee, a variety of tea, uh, candy for kids to sugar your kids up and send them off. Um, tries his best to memorize names, always wanting to know the names of people and, and uh, loves to interact, especially, you know, kids come out of the car. We know of families where the kids come out of the car excited to go talk to Mr. Wayne about things that happened to them the past week or whatever, and, and he, he, he offers something to God with his service. Um, it's an able kind of offering. And there's plenty of you that do the same. It's just one example. I could go on all day uh, for people who offer to God at Polaris like Abel. Uh, but I think about Wayne, and I think, man, that's, that's a faithful level of servanthood for God. And so the first thing that we can do, looking at the first case study in, um, in the Faith Hall of Fame, is, is for you to just take some time and think about, what am I offering of myself to God? Am I giving something from faith, or am I giving God what's left over? It's a humbling thought, isn't it? All right, next. I'm going to go down to um, verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not... <clears throat> They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. A little later on in 36. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. 
they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what they had been promised. <clears throat> they believed that they were promised something from God. They didn't receive it in this life. And yet they kept on believing and living as though it were true. None of them, they were commended because none of them in their whole life received this promise from God. None of them were validated in the eyes of the world. None of them felt this material showering of blessings. And yet they continued on in faithfulness. <clears throat> Most of us struggle in some way with a transactional understanding of friendship with God. Transactional being, I give, I get. And we have this feeling when we look around and we're in this run of bad luck that somehow God isn't listening, that somehow we did something wrong, or that the whole thing's a sham. Thousands of years ago, this author says, you want to know what the Faith Hall of Fame is? It's not prosperity gospel. It's doing the same thing. It's living as though God is on his throne, believing that someday I'm going to get what he promised me, and you may never get it in this lifetime. Now, this is a dangerous thing for us <laughs> because we live in a situation, I mean, let's face it, we're suburban America in 2023. Things may be a little rocky, but for most of us, I mean, I'm still doing all right. I'll just speak for myself. I don't love where things are in the world right now, but at the end of the day, I'm still doing pretty well most of my needs are met. So they say in like business leadership that there's, that there's three generations in, in an organization. The first are the founding generation that um, do the hard work. There's little to show for it. Um, they're, just, they're just grinding it out, believing that one day the company's going to turn the corner and maybe be prosperous. They're working hard with little to show for it for a long, long time, making a lot of sacrifices. Second generation, people that uh, were mentored by the first generation, but things have probably turned the corner in their tenure. And so they know the hard work, but they also know now the success. But they know that hard work with, without success can be a thing for a while. Like they know what it's like to work without success. They know what it's like worth, uh, to work with success. They understand the hard work. Then comes the third generation that doesn't know the first generation, that only knows the prosperity from the hard work that they didn't put in. And it's much harder for them to cope with any hardship or to understand that you got to put in a lot of work in faith before you ever see the results. And, and that's where we're at right now. Uh, we're enjoying 
a lot of the fruits, even in hard times, even with inflation, we're still enjoying a lot of the fruits of the generations before us. But essentially, and I'm at the front of the line, uh, I'm an immediate gratification guy. I want results quick. I use the microwave. I want things fast. I get frustrated when it doesn't happen like that. And, and it's hard sometimes to remain faithful like things are true even when I don't see it. So, <clears throat> example, when you're trying to do something for God or when you want to connect with God and he hasn't answered your prayer by Thursday, it's very easy for us to just, God's just not listening. Or you start to serve at Polaris somewhere and things aren't going well at the start. It's easy to just, I'm just, I'm not any good, that God's not in this, this is a waste of time. But what we see in Hebrews is you, you can't look at your circumstances. You can't look at the success of what you're doing and try to read your, God's perceived faithfulness of you. Faithfulness is about continuing forward regardless of the results because you're offering something to God that costs you something. So regardless of what you see, understand like Abel that God is looking to your offering, to your faithfulness, and that's what matters most to him, not for any earthly kind of payoff or perceived payoff. Very important ingredient to faithfulness is for us to not look for perceived success, no matter how much we're going to evaluate ourselves naturally and how well it's going on perceived success. You look at guys like Jeremiah, you read the book of Jeremiah, <clears throat> it's miserable. It is miserable to read Jeremiah because there was a guy who was faithful again and again and again and again and again. And there was no fruit ever in his life. And then he died. Wah, wah. But that's faithfulness. And sometimes there are mountaintops, but not always. Faithfulness is the, the sacrifice. All right, one more thing I want to do in Hebrews 11, and then one last thought, and then we're, we're, I'm done up here. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Where is the city? Heaven. The city of God, a heavenly residence, a heavenly citizenship. So they were longing for a better country. They looked at where they lived, and they wanted something better. And they realized that better place was in heaven. Now, this is specific to this time, uh, and I've, I've talked about this a lot lately, and, and I, I just think it's so important right now. <clears throat> Regardless of how you vote, there's a good chance you're looking at America right now with some frustration. And there are a lot of people who are devastated and just off the rails because of the shape of our nation. This is a people who were found faithful, who lived with a healthy detachment. They lived for heaven. They were not wrecked 
by the condition of the world, the country, the nation, the people, the tribe that they were a part of. They did not let it crush their soul. Instead, they focused on their heavenly citizenship. Not saying you shouldn't engage in politics and stuff like that. What I am saying is an element of faithfulness is healthy detachment from this world. And you may need to check out for a season and let it do its thing and you're going to focus on your heavenly citizenship because the truth of the matter is on an eternal timeline, say that, you know, picture a clothesline, the length of this stage, America is going to cover about that much. However long it exists, doesn't matter. That much. And your time in America, that much. In an eternal timeline. And, and we get so focused on that sometimes that we're just wrecked. And I think that part of faithfulness is to step in to the rest of eternity, heavenly citizenship, believing that God's going to figure things out. One last thought. There's a point in a walk with God, and this has been spoken about by, not only in scripture you can see a lot of evidence of it, um, but uh, a lot of the ancient voices of Francis of Assisi, uh, Mother Teresa, more modern, um, St. John of the Cross, St. Thomas Aquinas, they all write about this, not just from their personal story, but as a fact that if you walk with God, you're going to go through it. It's called some different things. Some people call it the wall. Some people call it the dark night of the soul. But it's this period of time of perceived dryness, fruitlessness, uh, doubt, anxiety, depression. So it, it, it goes like this. You're going to have a conversion moment. You've already had it if you're here, maybe, probably. Um, some of you are still exploring that. Love having you here. Uh, others of you, maybe you were far from God and you learned about Jesus' love for you and you connected with that and you had this season of blissful growth and, and happiness from just realizing that you can have a friendship with Jesus. Some of you maybe were in a ritualistic faith, expression of faith, and you found then a personal connection with Jesus and, and that was like another kind of conversion where you had this season of growth and, and you're reading the Bible for the first time and you're praying for the first time and you're worshiping for the first time and it's just this great season of growth. You're connecting with other followers of Jesus and growing and loving life. You're serving in a ministry somewhere and it's going well and you're growing. You just feel so close to God. He's right there with you when you pray. You're on fire. You're excited. And then at some point, you're going to hit a wall. <clears throat> and I'm saying this because I want you to have language. I need to every six months or so talk about this because I want everybody to have language for this and I don't do a good enough job uh, because this is really a normal part of a walk with God, the wall, where you feel like you're praying to the wall where you're experiencing nothing from worship, where you're getting nothing out of scripture. None of the ministries that you're a part of are bringing any fulfillment. They feel like, like a joyless duty. You're getting nothing from your faith. Bottom line, your faith isn't working for you anymore. And it can last years. But the ancients, like St. John of the Cross, was famous for a dark night of the soul. He wrote a book called The Ascent of Mount Carmel, 
which is an ancient book, and it's not exactly beach reading. But he walks through this well-known portion of a walk with God. And, and, And during this season of darkness is often the word described, the dark night of the soul. During this season, somehow God is stripping you of your attachment to this world. And we become detached in a healthy way from a lot of the desires of this world. And when we get through this season in a much greater way, we live in God's love and in trusting God's faithfulness to us. Detached from a lot of the things that we were ultimately looking to for support and for joy uh, and for sustenance beforehand. And the only way to get there is to push through the wall. Now, a lot of people just give up. A lot of people leave faith. A lot of people go back and just settle for rituals and meaningless expressions. What I'm saying is, I want you, when it comes your way, and it will, to be able to identify that's the wall. And it's a part of being faithful. It's a part of the journey toward faithfulness. It's how the fruit of the Spirit, it's how God develops faithfulness in us. It's when nothing else, a lot of the earlier things that we've done no longer work, but we keep pushing forward. You get through the wall and you experience Jesus and his love on a different level that you could never achieve apart from going through the wall. Some of you have been through it. Some of you are in it now. Some of you might be in it and you're like, oh, maybe that's why I'm a mess. Maybe that's why nothing seems to be working right now. It's a gift. The ancients all talked about it as a gift from God. It's miserable. But God is moving and detaching you from this world and bringing about a greater level of faith and a greater level of appreciation for what it means to live from and in God's love. And so... When you're walking through that season, and it will come if it hasn't, you keep doing things to connect with Jesus. You keep praying. You keep reading scripture. You keep worshiping. And you keep connecting with other Christians, though you may be tempted to just walk away and isolate. And you keep serving and doing things for people in need. You keep those three things going. Relationship with Jesus connecting with other Christians, serving. You keep pushing through it. And it might be years, hate to say it, it might be years, but all of a sudden you're through it. And you're in the presence of God again. And you're walking in a greater love than you've ever known. And it took that wall, and I don't know how it works or why it is, I just know it's a thing. So when you're in that season, you can label it and know to continue forward. Closing thought, come on up, guys that are doing the last song, guys and girls. Um, The journey of faithfulness has its highs and lows. There may never be an earthly payoff. But what I can promise you is that through that journey of faithfulness, one thing you will get might not get any earthly accolades or payout, but what, what you will get 
is a great and real awareness of God's faithfulness to you. And once you live with the reality of God's faithfulness and God's love for you, those other things don't really matter. So be faithful, and I can't promise you you're going to get anything in this world except an awareness of God's presence. And I can promise you that when you know his faithfulness, that's all that will really matter.